what a piece of music. And you hear that noise, it can only mean one thing. It's time for another episode of Burying Fake News. First and foremost, huge thank you to all the fine folk who downloaded and got involved with last week's show. The Legion of Lewis, Mariella's Militia, the battalion of Burying Fake News. We're growing every day, I'm sure. We're available all over the internet. Tell your friends, try the waitress, tip your veal. But for those of you who are new to the show, my name's Lewis and I'm the soon-to-be Dr. G. This is Burying Fake News, the podcast which dedicates itself to fact-checking the dribbling hordes of the uninformed turnips spouting mistruths and lies, growing like weeds on social media so you don't have to. And as ever, to join me in this crusade, it's my missus, my carer, the boss, Leffer, the queen of Burying Fake News. She avoids the sex demons and she avoids the alien DNA. She's a part-time interpreter and first to conquer the mount all-round good egg mountain. It's Mariella. Mariella, welcome back to episode 12, 12 of Burying Fake News. Wow, happy to be here, guys. Well, could you at least pretend to sound like you're happy? I mean, I understand the words that are coming to your mouth, but the enthusiasm isn't there. I'm still processing the fact that I was, um, what was it, the first to conquer mountain good egg? All-round good egg. Oh, well, good for me. Look at all those achievements. Should put that one on my CV. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of achievements, we've uh, managed to break the internet again with some more hate-filled vile coming our way through YouTube, which is good because it means we're getting through to the idiots, and that means we should actually get some housekeeping stuff sorted at the top of the show. First and foremost. Oh, no. Yeah, we've got some housekeeping to take care of. Yanks, Americans, please, I implore you, do not drink hand sanitizer. Four dead and a bunch blinded. What? Have you not read the reports? Oh my gosh, no, what's going on over there? They, a few of them decided they would drink hand sanitizer because it obviously kills the, the virus. Oh my goodness. Well, this is the danger of, um, you know, these sort of things happening. Over here in Mexico, they're drinking, what did I tell you the other day? chlorine dioxide or something like that oh no equally is diluted please don't do that either no no do not drink anything but water and fluids to keep you hydrated guys unless you're an adult male then you have to drink beer another bit of housekeeping we've got to sort out sturgis do you know about sturgis Uh, no what's going on sturgis is some town in North Dakota, somewhere in one of the North or South Dakotas, where they have a motorcycle gathering of all these half a million motorcycle fucks come up, and normally they enjoy it because they probably spend money in the area and blah blah blah, but during a pandemic it's the last thing you want is a bunch of outsiders driving from all over the place to come and descend on your quiet little town. Oh, I did see all the photos of all the motorcycle people there. Yeah, I mean, you know, they have, you know, we all have to understand we're all making sacrifices and we all wish life could go forward as normal. They had a fucking concert. If it's not possible. Yeah. I saw the UK also had its first uh, socially distant concert. To be honest, I quite liked it. Oh, with all the people in pig pens. Yeah, I thought it was really great. It's like your own little VIP area. You know, you don't actually have to get close to people. Less moshing. Not that I go to those concerts anyway. The, the lack of the motion is the sad part, but I mean, you don't want to go. To, even before a pandemic, you have to go and there's people sweating on you and breathing on you. And I don't get concerts. <laughs> no, thank you. I'm, I'm quite comfortable in my own space with my own company. Uh, once upon a time, that was desirable, wasn't it? Poor people of Sturgis who have just had an implosion and, and plethora of people just descend and ruin their, their town. Oh, well, my condolences. And speaking of implosions and explosions, that leads us nicely into the meat and potatoes of today's show. The Beirut explosion. 
Ooh, very tragic. All the news coming out of Lebanon is really tough. And have you seen those videos? Yeah, you know when they first sent it to me, I didn't you know bother watching. I don't watch videos in general, and you know this. And until my mom showed it to me, and I was like, oh my gosh, I thought it was just like a normal fire. And I was like, this is like an atomic blast. You know, I could I well, I hold that thought because we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, horrible. And and I did actually have an epiphany whilst I was watching the the footage, and and my God, some of that footage is. I've told you I don't understand the reactor videos where people just react. They watch things and you watch them watch things. Yeah, just, yeah, me neither. See their reaction. I had an epiphany. That's kind of us. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> In a very strange sense, that's us. We, you know, things come on the news like Americans are drinking sanitizer. I just think, oh god, where are the reaction videos? <laughs> yeah. But oh god, I don't know how to feel. Try that and way. keep moving forward with the the topic of today's show the the beirut explosion and, and the massive beirut explosion yes and we're so so lucky to have an actual chemist with us to explain how these you know explosions can actually happen right so let's get started on the afternoon of the august 4th this year 2020 i don't know when people are listening it's going to be up for a while these shows there were two explosions that occurred at the port city of beirut which is the capital of lebanon one of the explosions was relatively uninteresting and the second explosion was extremely powerful it caused at least 171 deaths immediately who knows how many are going to die who are in care or can't get to care who are missing buried under the rubble there was about 6,000 injuries they think in terms of property damage they estimate anything between 10 to 15 billion at least there's about 300,000 people homeless and that was attributed to 2.7 tons a little over 2.7 tons of ammonium nitrate and we'll get into the equivalences of what that is a little bit later on this was in a warehouse on the dock that had been confiscated by the Lebanese government from the abandoned ship M MV Rosas, and I'll get into that a little later also, and it was stored in the port without the proper safety measures for at least six years that we believe from the sources that I've been able to gather. Six years? My gosh. Correct. The explosion was detected by the US Geological Survey, so they, they monitor a lot of seismic they monitor a lot of seismic activity for earthquakes, tsunamis, and the event was the magnitude of three point three. It was felt in Turkey, in Syria, in Israel, and parts of Europe. It was heard in Cyprus, which is over 160 miles, which is about 250 kilometers away from the epicenter of the blast. And I think it is considered to be one of the most powerful non-nuclear explosions in history. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yep. The Lebanese government declared a two-week uh, state of emergency in response to the disaster in its aftermath. We've seen protests erupt across, erupt across Lebanon against the government for their abject failure to prevent this, as well as joining a larger series of protests that have actually been taking place in the country since 2019. And then on the 10th of August, following all of this, the Prime Minister, Hassan Diab, the, and the whole cabinet resigned due to mounting political pressure. Oh my gosh. 2020 still hit back. The economy of Lebanon was already in a state of crisis before this incident, with government having defaulted on debt and the pound plunging and the poverty rate that had risen past 50% from what I read. Oh my God. 
More notes. That's why we write these things down. It was 50%. In addition, the COVID-19 pandemic has also overwhelmed the country or many of the country's hospitals. Several were already short of medical supplies, unable to even pay staff. Oh my goodness. Yep. And the morning before the explosion, the head of the Rafik Harry University Hospital, which served as the main coronavirus uh, medical facility, I love that term, in Lebanon, warned that it was approaching full capacity. Oh no, and with people now homeless and missing, oh my gosh. It, it is awful out there. The government-owned port of Beirut served as the main maritime entry point into Lebanon and a vital piece of infrastructure you know, the importance of, of scarce goods into the country, and it included four basins, 16 keys, 12 warehouses, a container terminal, and, a, and one of the largest grain silos, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a little while. And it was that large grain silo was the strategic reserve of wheat and oat for the, the country, and also located there's the Beirut naval base. Mm-hmm. So this story really starts... In 2013, and we're going to jump back in time in a boat called the MV Rosas. Ooh. So on the 27th of September 2013, the Moldovan flagged cargo ship, which was called the MV Rosas, owned by the Cyprus-based Russian businessman uh, Igor Guchkushkin, he set sail from Batumi, Georgia, which I think is now Russia-owned, to, to Mozambique. And they carried that 2.7 tons of ammonium nitrate that we were talking about, and that's what caused this. The shipment had been ordered by an African explosives manufacturing company for mining in Mozambique. So they wanted to use all of this for as explosive for mining. But it has other things you can use it for as well. On the 21st of November in 2013, the ship made port in Beirut. This is where it gets a little bit mixed on different sources that I was looking through, but it was forced to port due to mechanical issues, possibly engine problems, possibly not. Um, some say it just didn't have the funds to pay for the tolls for the Suez Canal and attempted to take on a shipment of heavy machinery in Beirut to counter this. Uh, the heavy sheet machinery was then stacked on top of doors to the cargo space containing the ammonium nitrate, causing the doors to buckle, which damaged the ship. But it's unsure what they were actually doing there in the first place because there's conflicting evidence from what I've read. Ooh. So after the inspection by the port state control who you know, oversee the operation there, the Rosas was deemed unseaworthy and was forbidden to move anywhere ever. And eight Ukrainians and a couple of Russians were on board and with the help of their consul, they were repatriated, just leaving crew members to care for the ship. Then the Russian financier, Gretsch Kushkin, who I mentioned earlier, he went bankrupt after the charters lost interest in the cargo and he just abandoned the ship. Oh my gosh. So the Rosas ran out of provisions and the remaining crew were just left there and they couldn't disembark because of immigration restrictions. Oh, no. Yeah, so creditors also obtained three arrest warrants against the ship. And according to Lloyd's List, which is where I found some of this information, the Beirut Port Authority seized the ship on the 4th of February 2014, so months after, due to um, $100,000 in unpaid bills for, for the porting of the ship. Oh, gosh. Port, port fees. Fort, P, fort Port fees was what I was trying to get out there. Try and say that fast. Port fees, port fees, port fees. And they'd been fined for refusing cargo, essentially. Lawyers argued for the crew's repatriation because on compassionate grounds because obviously they're still aboard the ship and the, the judge in Beirut allowed that to occur. Wow. They had been forced to live on that ship for about a year. 
morning. No way. Oh, it must be awful. This is already a shit show. Yeah. By the same judge who told them that they have to go home peacefully, because why the fuck have they been living on a boat for 12 months? The same judge also argued, or decreed, ordered, the cargo was to be brought ashore and placed in warehouse 12 on the port, and it stayed there for six years. The Rosas sank in the harbour in February in 2018. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't work out if it was sank on purpose or if they just neglected it and just let it slowly, you know, let the sea take it. Either way, that's horrendous, you know. Oh my goodness, how did we not know about this? Well, people knew. Customs officials then sent letters to the judges requesting for a resolution to the issue of the confiscated cargo, proposing the ammonium nitrate, which was you know the explosive side, be either exported, uh, be given to the army, sold to private Lebanese explosive companies, or used as fertilizer, just something with them. And these letters were sent out on the 27th of June and the 5th of December in 2014, 6th of May 2015, the 20th of May 2015, the 13th of October 2016, and the 27th of October 2017. Okay. So the port knew it was there. The judge hadn't moved on it. One of the letters sent in 2016 noted that the judges had not replied to any of the letters, and they kind of begged. Like, this was a quote from one of the letters, and it sounds like they're pleading. Quote, in view of the serious danger of keeping these goods in the hangar in unsuitable climatic conditions, we reaffirm our request to please request the Ramin agency to re-export these goods immediately to preserve the safety of the port and those working in it, or look to agreeing to sell this amount. And in this kind of language, letters to judges, they're very formal affairs. So to say, please request, that's begging at that point. Yeah, and I can't believe, like, you know, even back then, there was notions that this was very dangerous and, you know, please do something about it. Yeah, so it's been there a while and it's been neglected. There are judges who have just sat on this and ignored this. And then we fast forward a few years where they just stopped sending letters. So on the afternoon of uh, the 4th of August, which is 2020, it's just gone by, a fire broke out in Warehouse 12, where all this is stored at the port of Beirut. Warehouse 12 was next to the grain silo, which we mentioned earlier. And it stored the ammonium nitrate that had been confiscated from the MV Rosas all those years ago, along a stash of fireworks. And it's unsure as to how many fireworks there were present. So they put ammonium nitrate beside fireworks? Correct. Oh my gosh. At 6pm-ish their time, so that's 4pm UK time, there were a team of nine firefighters and a paramedic from the report I read was dispatched to fight the fire there. And on the arrival the Fire crew reported there was, quote, something wrong, and this is from their reports as a direct quote, something wrong as the fire was very huge and produced, quote, a crazy sound. Oh, my God. So the fire service know that this isn't right. And then at 10 past six, so 10 minutes later or so, a cloud of smoke was followed by some flashes of light and bright sparks, and they think that was the fireworks going up. And then the second, which was about half a minute later, that was much more substantial that was the explosion it, it rocked central beirut it sent a red orange cloud into the air it was briefly surrounded if you look at the video you'll see that white kind of dome around it like a white duvet encompassing it and that's condensation cloud from the explosion the orange red color of the smoke was caused by the nitrogen dioxide which is actually a, a byproduct of ammonium nitrate decomposition the 
second explosion was the one that was felt in as far as northern Israel, as far as Cyprus, some 150 miles away. Oh my gosh. And I remember seeing like the the fire and then the little sparkling lights and I was like, oh, that's so odd. I can't imagine what a sound, like a fire making a weird sound must be like. That's eerie. Well, if your job is to fight fires day in, day out, you, you probably do, do notice these things. That's true, yeah. So what's amazing is that we said earlier that the United States Geological Survey measured it at 3.3 local magnitude earthquake. The transmission of the shock waves from the explosion into the ground is not an efficient transmission. It's quite poor. So for it to still register 3.3 is an inkling into how insane this explosion was. Oh my gosh, you're right. I mean, I'm sure there's ways to measure explosions too. So Jordan the seismological observatory reported that when they accounted for the inefficient transmission, they estimate it to be closer to 4.5 magnitude. Oh my goodness. And then if we jump over to the University of Sheffield, UK, they estimated that it was one of the biggest non-nuclear explosions in history. Wow. Wow. And they think it was it was similar to those that went up in in Tianjin in China and the Texas City one in the in the forties. Was it Waco? One minute thirty seven seconds later. Ah, well then, never mind. Not Waco. No, not 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 Waco. You're confusing it with something else. Oh, my bad then. Sorry, guys. Hi guys, just a quick edit and post production to clarify. The Waco explosion was in Texas and was ammonium nitrate, and this occurred in 2013. Not to be confused with the 1940s explosion in Texas, which was much larger. And by comparison, the Beirut explosion was about 100 times larger. So, in terms of explos- explosions, explosives, these warehouses in the port stored explosives, chemicals, including nitrates and, and the ammonium nitrate we spoke about. The general director of general security, which was Major General Abbas Ibrahim, said that the ammonium nitrate confiscated from the Rosas had exploded. And that was his official statement. 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate, which there is a conversion for comparing everything to TNT. It's called the TNT conversion scale, literally. Ooh, so that's how we measure explosions then. 2,700 tons of ammonium nitrate is about 1,155 tons of TNT. Oh my gosh. And, you know, in the port, in the middle of a big city, absolutely devastating. Well, I'll move on to that in a moment. The, The Lebanese Broadcasting Corporation, which was there, main news agency, the International, said that according to the attendees of the High Defence Council briefing, the fire was ignited by workers welding a door onto the warehouse. Oh no. A former port worker, this is where I grabbed the same quote from, said, quote, there were 30 to 40 nylon bags of fireworks inside warehouse 12. Oh no. An American diplomatic cable, so a direct wire on the 7th of August, said it, quote, remains unclear whether fireworks, ammunition, or something else stored next to the ammonium nitrate might have been involved. I still can't believe they'd store fireworks next to something they know is explosive. And they've known for a very long, long time they shouldn't be there. Absolutely, and you have people welding, so they're doing something so, you know, 
so care well not careless but you know so normal as to welding risk. a door and it is so high risk in that environment oh my goodness and and a, a, a port worker who's not a former port worker said that the hangar 12 where it had been warehouse 12 was used for long-term storage and that quote those in charge only used to open the warehouse to stack inside it materials confiscated upon judicial orders or perilous products so moving on to you know the the real issue here some casualties following the explosion they 171 people confirmed dead an additional 30 to 40 missing although i think that number is rising every day and there are over 6000 people injured walking wounded oh my gosh um nazar nigerian who was the the secretary general of the katiba party who was the the ruling one he died after suffering some serious head injuries. Um, a renowned French architect called Jean-Marc Bonfils died after suffering some serious injuries in his apartment, sorry, in the East Village in Beirut. And he'd actually been live streaming the fire at the warehouse on Facebook at the time. And his death was live streamed to the world. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my the, the the explosion overturned cars. It stripped framed steel framed buildings of their cladding. Within the port area, the explosion destroyed a section of the shoreline that left a crater that measured at 124 meters across in diameter, 43 meters deep. There were homes as far as 10 kilometers away, six miles out, that were damaged you know, windows missing. Yeah, the windows were just shattered and these were really far. Completely smashed from the blast radius, yeah. The grain elevator, and that was the city's second largest, was destroyed. This exacerbates the food shortages the country already has owing to the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh my goodness. And they estimate about 15,000 tonnes of grain was destroyed leaving the country with less than a month's worth of grain in reserve oh my gosh compound this with the amount of homeless now needing food yeah in the middle of the pandemic the damage yeah the the damage from the blast affected over half of beirut directly and they estimate it to be about 15 billion in total cost once it's finished with insured losses around 3 billion 90% of hotels in the cities are not functioning anymore three hospitals were completely destroyed and two more are functioning but suffered what they called severe damage based on the their bbc i don't know what they call it dozens of injured people have been brought to nearby hospitals and they can't be admitted because the damage to the hospitals windows and other installations of glass across the whole city were just like we said just ruined wow I mean, you know, you, you already lack infrastructure when a pandemic hits like this, but to have it, you know, blown to smithereens. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So they have a hospital there called St. George Hospital, which was one of the city's largest hospitals, medical facilities. That was less than a kilometer from the explosion, and it was so badly damaged that the staff there were forced to treat patients in the street. Oh, my goodness. Four nurses working there died upon the explosion 15 of the patients died when their ventilators stopped working because of the explosion there's a big child chemotherapy ward there a lot of them are seriously injured from the flying flying glass that was going around and they need a lot of reconstructive surgery plastic surgery yeah and all the things that they need for their treatments again there's no infrastructure to get it to receive the treatment 
on on top of that, oh yeah, goodness. within hours after discharging all of its patients, because it just didn't obviously have the ability to treat them, and sending some to other facilities, they they closed and they said that quote there is no Saint George Hostel anymore. It's fallen on the floor. It's destroyed. All of it is gone. Wow, I'm speechless. That was Dr. Joseph Haddad, where I got oh that quote gosh. from, by the way. And he's the hospital's director of intensive care there. Wow. The Sursok Museum was also severely damaged, and there's a lot of precious artwork and ceramics there that have been completely destroyed. The Sursok Palace, which is a 160-year-old Beirut landmine, was, was restored. Landmark, not landmine. Beirut landmark was restored over a 20-year period following the civil war from 75 to 1990 that was listed as a cultural uh, heritage site and that's gone too mm-hmm. oh my goodness all the stained glass windows from the from the catholic uh, catholic estate there gone oh my gosh. as well as that as the national evangelical church they've also reported damages to the embassies of Argentina, Australia, Finland, Cyprus, Netherlands, which suffered the most damage from what I've seen, the South Korea embassy, Hungarian, Kazakh, Russian, Bulgarian, Romanian, and Turkish embassies all being severely damaged also. Oh my goodness. And this was all brought on by the storage of 2,750 tonnes of ammonium nitrate. And ammonium nitrate is a salt uh, it's not something you'd put on your chips, but it, it's what we call chemically a salt. And it's made from reacting ammonia, which we get on mass from the harbour process, with nitric acid. It's usually used as a fertiliser, but it can also be used, in this case, it was initially as explosive for a Mozambique mining company. It's also used in some instant cold packs you can buy, and it was once trialled for inflation for airbags, but it was pulled after it killed a dozen people or so. Oh gosh, for the same reason that it was kind of explosive? I'm guessing it's Yeah, so I think they use azides now, which are a little, way more sensitive, but safer for for the uh, purpose of the airbag. Ammonium nitrate decomposes non-explosively, technically, into gases. It, it, it goes into nitrous oxide, which is is a gas, and water vapor when, it, when it's heated. However, it can be induced to decompose explosively by detonation, and that's what happened. And that's when it's um, when you have fire there, or how does it detonate? Large stockpiles of material support oxidation. This escalates to the detonation. Mm, we'll see. So the explosions are not uncommon. They're quite. Minor, there were only a few incidences over the years. We spoke about the um, the Tianjin explosion and the, the Texas City one. There was also an Opal one. And obviously now, sadly, this one. Mm-hmm. And could you maybe explain to us um, how explosions, like what happens in... Yes. Ammonium nitrate can explode through two mechanisms. Shock to detonation transition, where an explosive charge is within or in contact with a mass of ammonium nitrate causes nitrate to detonate. Mm-hmm. Examples of that are the Creewold Morgan, which is the Sayreville, New Jersey one, Opow and Tessendolo one. Mm-hmm. Or you can have what's called deflag- deflagration to detonation transition. This is where the ammonium nitrate explosion results from a fire that spreads the ammonium nitrate 
which is what we saw in this case, which was the Texas City one, which was that Tianjin one, or from ammonium nitrate mixing with combustible material during the fire. Hmm. The fire can be confined, oh, sorry, that the fire must be confined at least to a degree for successful transition from a fire to an explosion. There's a guy on Twitter, and I can't remember the prof, but if you go on there and search deflagration to detonation, he has a wonderful thread detailing all of this. And he's a jet engine professor. Oh, wow. And that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> all right. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, we kind of see explosions, but we don't actually um, understand what causes one, right? Well, it, well, it, and... well, it, it detonates. That's what happens, mm-hmm. is, is, mm-hmm. it, is it detonates. Um, there, there are numerous safety guidelines that we've developed. We call them MSDS, uh, Material Safety Data Sheets available from suppliers, from vendors, from governments on how to safely handle and store this. Um, Again, pure ammonium nitrate won't burn, but it is a strong oxidizer and it supports and accelerates the combustion of material. It it should not be stored near combustible substances such as fireworks. Yeah, so number one, you know, don't get fireworks close to it. How would you be able to store safely that amount of ammonium nitrate? you would keep it loose i.e not compact and i imagine this in big you know multi you know ton bags like you buy a bag of sand ton of sand something like that mm-hmm. and because it's got pressure on it it just wants to go out and you would never store 2700 tons of it in one place and if you were to store that much you'd store it in a military base in a desert in the middle of nowhere where the casualties are going to be significantly less precisely for that reason right and you would not store it next to fireworks yeah a lot of recklessness a lot of um informalities there because i I guess in the end you know it's not like they purposely sort it there it was just kind of a temporary thing and then just left you know in a limbo and it was careless Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it's quite stable you know you can you can throw it around stuff it's not shock sensitive Mm -hmm. there are easy ways to store this but storing it on mass next to explosives already is asking for trouble yeah i mean i'm surprised that something that's used as a fertilizer is also uh, can be used as an explosive that's pretty crazy um not really it's common i mean the harbor process originally which was fritz harbor back in the early 19th 1900s uh don't maybe 1914 perhaps he he developed a wonderful way to get ammonia from the harbor process because otherwise it's a reversible reaction and you can't really drive out your product he was able to drive out more of the product with aims of trying to get more ammonia for fertilizer for the fields but the germans at the time went ah we can use this to blow up the french and the british and anyone else who wants to have a poppeters oh so i'm kind of like i guess in my head i'm thinking like you know Will I be served exploding carrots or something? But I'm guessing the answer is no. <laughs> no. It is used in other explosive light. It's used in mm-hmm. um, a hydrazine-based rocket fuel. It's used in amatol, which is a ammonium nitrate mixed with um, TNT and, and a bunch of other things. Uh, I can't think off the top of my head. Tovex, it's used in Tovex, which is like um, a methyl ammonium nitrate and an ammonium nitrate uh, mixture and, and minol which is, um, I think it's an aluminium powder. It's TNT and ammonium nitrate. How about like if you, you know, uh, Lou, like if you received that in your lab, how would you handle it? 
not that much, but the same. Yeah, oh, I've, used it. I've used it in the lab. And do you have to take any safety precautions with it? No. Hmm. No, it's it's it is an explosive and it is an oxidizer, but you can store it safely. You can work with it safely. It's a salt. It's got a cation mm -hmm. and an iron. Simple as that. You know, at temperatures below a few hundred degrees, it's very stable. Mm -hmm. As you get into higher temperatures, you have a runaway reaction, which is the decomposition. And that process is the explosive. So the problem there was the fire and obviously storing it beside. Yeah. And, and remember, the amount that I have available to me is nothing compared to the insane tonnage that was kept here. Yeah, I mean, not without definitely a visit from your uh, home secretaries or <laughs> homeland security people. Remove industry from the equation. Just look at research institutes. If you were to weigh up how much ammonium nitrate every research institute has in Europe, in Europe, I'd be surprised if it was over 2,700 tons. Wow. So there, it was massively irresponsible to be storing this much um, in this way then? Yeah, yeah, hugely, of course. Oh my goodness, that's so tragic. Do you have any further questions, Your Honour? I'm trying not to dip into the ones from the quick fire, not so quick fire, but sometimes quick fire around. I'm wondering how quick fire it'll be because some of the questions might be worth kind of looking at closely. Oh, but... sorry. Let's do it. Let's move on. Let's <laughs> go to our quick fire. Sometimes quick fire, but not so quick fire. But round. sometimes quick fire. Uh, yeah. If you've got any questions, email them over to us, bearingfakenews at gmail.com. The link's in the description. You can tweet them over. You can. We are on Instagram as well and a bunch of other things, Facebook. Um, so you've got the cues. Let's move forward. Fire away. Awesome. So for to start off our quick fire, but not so quick fire, but sometimes quick fire round, we have how powerful was the blast? It was the equivalent of 1,200 tons of TNT going up. It measured four point. It, went, it measured 3.3 on the Richter scale. They suspect it actually was something closer to 4.5 in That's... total. It's crazy. So how does that compare to a nuclear blast? Today's nuclear blasts are way over that. However, the early nuclear blast, the earliest nuclear testing we did was equivalent to around 1.4 tons of TNT. So it was under, but not by a lot. Ooh. And like I in the, when I saw the explosion what brought what came to mind was like the images of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. How does it compare to those blasts? So in terms of power, it was about three or 400 tons under, I believe. Wow, but that's not even that much. The blast radius of Hiroshima, just the explosion, was a little further than the Beirut explosion. Wow, but not even that much then. No, but that was equivalent to 1,500 tons of TNT. This is 1.2 or 1.1-ish. So it's a few hundred tons under what the Hiroshima bomb, Little Boy was the name of that bomb. Wow, but I guess if you put into context, like, you know, how many years have gone by and comparing that this is just an industrial accident versus that was an intentional, you know, bombing, that's impressive and not in a good way. Bear in mind, this is a better explosion to 
have survived than Hiroshima because of the nuclear fallout and radiation. So unlike a nuclear oh, hold blast. on, hold on. I'm going to ask about that. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, I'm getting ahead of myself. How dare I? <laughs> Absolutely. So the next question is, will it change how we handle these sort of things going forward? No, it just means that safety briefs by health and safety officers will have a few slides about this. But the way that we are, or the way that we work with this will remain unchanged because nobody should ever work with it in this way. Yeah, it'll definitely turn into like one of those uh, cautionary tales, won't it? It will, yeah. Yeah, so my question is, would anybody ever need that amount of ammonium nitrate? Was there, is there any way that's justified to have that much in one place? For agriculture, I can see you getting through quite a few tons of it. Again, to go to Mozambique and for a mining company who may be blasting rock face all day, yeah, they, they will get through it. But to have it all in one place is the issue. Even to send a boat with that much of it on in one trip, I would question why not have it over two boats or three boats and just charge whoever is buying it off you for the extra cost of it. Yeah, of course. And now getting to what you were mentioning before, are there any lingering effects we should be looking out for or be concerned about like radiation or toxic gases that could cause problems in the long run? No, so there won't be any toxic gases remaining from this. From the explosion, there may be pipe bursts or things going on as a result of it, but not directly from it. There's no nuclear aspect to this. There's no radiation aspect to this, unlike what we saw with Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So it's just the explosion. They're dealing with the consequences, but there are no long-term health issues. I should know, actually, with those nuclear bombs, there's also an incredible fire damage, and it just ravages this. There was no fire component to this. It was quickly a, a decomposition and just that plosive shock wave where the mm -hmm. damage could come from. Whereas with a nuclear weapon, you have a good few hundred meters where you've got a surface temperature of about 6,000-ish degrees. Yeah, anybody in the way will be incinerated, won't they? Yeah, you just, you're a shadow on the wall. That's all that's left of you. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have the, the dust and the ash from the bomb crater, which is just radioactive fission products, and that's what then goes on to cause um, melanomas and other types of cancers, and people who survive that blast then have to deal with the radiation aspect of the blast. Yeah. So next question is, why did it leave a massive crater, like, you know, in the site? Because it blows outwards. Mm. And if where if it were something different, like a different chemical or something, would it be a different size? Would it not have a hole at all? No, no. It's, they're always circular. They always go out in a uniform fashion, out circular. Okay. And last question. Maybe you as a chemist can kind of, you know, it's kind of made me think a lot more of how, how we handle chemicals i didn't do very well in chemistry in high school but i imagine that in industry and in labs you have safety protocols especially in like large quantities how what what are the protocols for knowingly handling handling dangerous chemicals handling any chemical in in, in any environment you would fill in what's called a a kosh form a control of substances had hazardous to health regulations form as you fill this form out you type you write in what you're working, how much you're working with, what the hazards are. Are the hazards to your respiratory system? Are they hazards to your eyes? Is it a lacrimator? Is it acidic? 
you also put in hazards like, is it dangerous to wildlife? How should you get rid of it? Is it an oxidizer? Is it corrosive? Is it compressed gas? Hmm. So you do analyze all this before? Yeah, you do all of that. And it's a big form you fill in for each reagent that you're using. And then you use that as your guide for your risk assessment. And what the risk assessment is like, you know, is it an explosive? Is it flammable? Toxic? To- yeah. So if you're using something that's perhaps explosive and you know you're going to have some heat element there, you might say, I'm going to have a blast shield up. Mm-hmm. If you're working with something that's a, a massive oxidizer, you might say I'm working under a no atmosphere so instead of just doing it open on the bench you do it in an enclosed piece of glassware that you purge of atmosphere and you fill it instead with nitrogen oh wow so you don't have that combustion and then you might also say well it is unstable so i'll do all of that at minus 78 which is a real common temperature that chemists will use to keep it cold Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you use your kosh form to guide your risk assessment yeah I'll never forget that one time that we were at uni and I heard the fire alarm go off in uh, the chemistry lab and I'm just thinking like, oh my gosh, if there's somewhere you want to get out of really fast, it's <laughs> a chemistry building whenever something like that goes on, isn't it? In the words of Shaggy, it wasn't me. <laughs> and with that, we conclude our quick fire, not so quick fire, but sometimes quick fire round. Is that all the questions? Those are all the questions oh, I had. That but... one too bad. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's a very kind of concentrated topic. We could talk about the implications of it. We could talk about the human cost of it. But, you know, seeing as we are... It could be a podcast series on its own. It's so hard just to get a general overview and know what to go into detail on and what not to go into detail on. Yeah, but I think since we cover kind of the more scientific aspects of it and having your chemistry knowledge, then I think, you know, we kind of stick to this, the facts that we know and just um, keep an eye out for what happens to Lebanon going forward because what a horrible year it's had. Yep, they are they are suffering over there and, and by Jove they got a hell of a fight going forward. On a on a sombre note that does conclude our quick fire, sometimes quick fire but not so quick fire. I can't even get my last few episodes. I've really <laughs> messed this up, haven't I? Yeah, you've been saying too many words. Too many words. All the way, well, again, as I said before, I've, I'm very good with words. I've used all the words in English language and made some up along the way. <laughs> if you do have any of your own science-based questions, email them in Burying Fake News. But let's move on to something a bit bit cheerier, if possible, because there are a lot of idiots who think that this was a an attack or an explosion, or you know, this was something that it wasn't, and they've been tweeting about it. Oh yes, ripe ground for conspiracy theories, isn't it? Oh, indeed, it is a fertile minefield for picking, and I've been having fun. So, are you ready? This is my favourite time of the week, you guys. Let's play that funky music, white boy. Oh, that music, it's Tweet of the Week. This week we've been talking about the Beirut explosion. However, there are some idiots out there who think this was an attack, this was something it wasn't. It was a tragedy, it is harrowing, but it was not anything malicious, direct from Israel or any other nation. However, that doesn't stop people tweeting about it. Sweetie, you've got them in front of you. Kick us off with number one. All right, so number one. It has the video of the explosion attached, and it says, Watch at zero, colon, zero, eight. 
eight second. Prove this was no accident. Clear rocket strike. But from who? Ooh. Well, exactly what I would expect to see in this um, tweet of the week section. That's just a warm up, right? Some of these are just wild. Oh, no. <laughs> Number two. On April 13th, 2019, Israel used a tactical nuke via an F 16 carried rampage on Syria, claiming a strike on a missile factory with rockets and launchers. Come August, Beirut was second use and even more powerful than the first used by Israel in Syria. So they're blaming Israel oh for dropping not only a nuke on Beirut, but also dropping a nuke on Syria in last year. Yeah, lots of accusations going on here. Very weak nukes, because <laughs> apparently this one was more powerful than the first, but as we've crunched the numbers, <laughs> that's not possible. That's true, I hadn't even thought about that. You're right, they would be very weak nukes if they were nukes And, and the bit that I love about this tweet is, they not only know, know in quotation marks, that they've dropped two nukes, Israel have, but they did it with an F-16. Like, of all the aircraft available to the Israel army, the bombers and whatever, the F-16. <laughs> well, I don't know much about planes, but I'll take your word for it. Of all the fighter jets, they, they were using F-16 both times. <laughs> Definitely have to look this up after. So tweet number three. Don't think for a moment this isn't related to the operation in Beirut. No, that is not a typo. Beirut was a planned operation to take out Iranian rockets and ammunition. Coincidences? I don't believe in them. Ooh. <laughs> I don't even know what the first half is going on. Yeah. <laughs> What's the operation? Don't know. Oh my god, the not, planned not operation. Sure. Oh my gosh. I love that. No, that is not a typo. Ooh. Sorry. No, not a typo. <laughs> Number four. Hashtag fake news says that was, quote, an explosion. It looks more like a nuclear attack. The truth will come out soon. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known can come to light. <laughs> oh my gosh, I already have a runner for um favorite tweet so far. Oh good, you're keeping track this time. I am. Sorry guys. It took way too long last time. But um, like you said, I love that people have clearly never seen a nuclear attack. So... Tweet number five. Terrible attack. I can't believe how much uh, capitalization is going on. Okay. Terrible attack. Trump says U.S. military experts believe Jews could be responsible for the Beirut blast. Oh, God. If the bomb of some kind is proven, Israeli inspired the West must wage war against the Israeli feral nation. Link to the sketchiest site ever that we will not promote on our show. Oh, my gosh. What a roller coaster ride that tweet was. Oh First, I was God. so like, I'd like to point out that every single word is capitalized until like all the way. Why? I have no idea. But oh my gosh, the Jews? The Jews could be responsible for Beirut Blast? Oh my gosh. This is a common theme in this, by the way. No, don't tell me that. Number six The Beirut Nuke Scintillation Flash. We had some questions about the Beirut nuclear attack. We have since proven that even if fertilizer-grade ammonium nitrate existed at the site, it would have burned and could never have exploded. What? 
again, this was a link to some shithole blog site where someone just sits in a tinfoil hat and talks nonsense. <laughs> oh gosh, why do people get information from these people? Oh. Alright, so number seven. Hashtag Beirut explosion was an Israeli nuclear attack. Israel hits Beirut with nuclear missile. Trump and Lebanese government confirm. Parenthesis. New infrared images from two cameras. Close parenthesis. And then it's linked to some other website that we will not be promoting on the show. Yet another shitty site, as it says on the format. Yes. Well, linked to yet another uh, subpar site we will be not promoting. Okay, so. just Goldilocks. <laughs> Number eight. Hashtag Israel has planned this attack in advance, years in advance, and anyone who says Israel doesn't plan that far ahead can't spell Mossad. The shocking truth about the nuclear attack on Beirut. And then it's a link to another shit site, and it's not even the same as any of the others. Oh my gosh, how many sites are there? Oh, I didn't go on loads, I don't go on them. I, 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 I love this one. Okay. Tweet number nine. Experts match the evidence in the hashtag Beirut explosion to a nuclear attack and then link to another shitty news site at real Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just in case he's not aware oh of the God. nuclear attack in the world. I love it when they just act like really famous people or like really like formal agencies and you're like, oh, yes, that's what they're going to be doing right now. Really. Yeah, that, that's why number nine went last. I saw that and I was like, oh, I can't write this stuff. I still can't get over the one that said at FBI. Oh I was going to say, you preempted my question. What was <laughs> your favorite? There was some really good one. Um, one eternity later. Uh, much, much, much later. I think it has to be my first one that I quite liked. The hashtag fake news says that was an explosion. It looks more like a nuclear attack. The truth will come out soon, for nothing is hidden that will become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Oh, oh! <laughs> it's that old Southern preach thing. I know something you don't know. What yeah, I'm not on you, yeah. boy. The oh, love and light tool. I'll show you the way. Yeah, absolutely. That one or the Donald Trump one at Donald Trump. Oh my god, Donald Trump. Yeah. My favorite, just because it was just as ridiculous the second time round, was number five. Terrible attack, Trump says US military experts believe the Jews could be responsible for the Beirut blast. If the, quote, bomb of some kind is proven to be Israeli in kind, the West must wage war against the Israeli feral nation. Here's the link to the shittiest site on the Twitter. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, there were some really wild ones here. I just to clarify, I'm not laughing at, at, at the explosion, but these idiots who think it's an attack, and I do feel sorry for Israel, and I don't know why they've been dragged into this. It's nothing to do with them. No, no, and these are like, you know, it kind of sucks because in another time, these would be serious accusations. And, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, people don't just, you know, accuse entire nations or other people of attacking or you know this is very serious and it's very sad and we shouldn't be politicizing it if it's not necessary and speaking about being very serious that's why i've brought into his tweet number 10 is actually again it's a series of tweets because i quite like the thread and this was by at dabus Helene. 
What we experienced that night was far worse than any scene I might have seen on television. The number of patients that came into the emergency room that day was overwhelming. I was scared, anxious, I was distraught. Regardless, I had to put it all aside and focus on the task at hand, on my job and on my vocation, helping those in need. I remember running around the emergency department seeing patient after patient and trying to triage them in my head. A man with some shards of glass and lacerations in his face could wait. A woman with severe bleeding and orbital hematoma couldn't. As an ENT, I am not trained to deal with traumatic body injuries, so I tried as much as effectively as I could. Part of the process was being there for patients, reassuring them, caring for them on an emotional level. Everyone was scared and confused, but I couldn't allow my emotions to take over. I had to intellectualize in order to be able to help others. We worked tirelessly for about 10 hours with no break, cleaning wounds, suturing, stapling, and generally helping out as much as we could. None of us slept, neither of us that was there, nor those that weren't. It's been almost a week and I still can't feel anything. I shut my emotions off on that night and I haven't been able to let myself feel since then. Because of the intensity of the pain might handicap me and I can't be handicapped, I need to stay alert and functional. I need to keep working because people are still hurt. People are still getting injured every day. We move from treating people injured by the explosion to treating people being attacked at the protests every night. I feel trapped in this never-ending nightmare. Almost a whole week has passed and yet it feels like yesterday. The intensity of the shock has not faded one bit. Every morning I wake up, I grieve. I grieve the lives we lost. I grieve the lives whose lost ones, their homes, their workplaces. I grieve for those who got injured, those who lost an eye, an ear, a limb. I grieve the city that I love. I grieve its familiar streets. But most of all, I grieve my hopes and dreams. How can one hope after such an event? How can one still dream of a better future, or of any future at all, when the world you know has literally collapsed around you? As a 27-year-old physician, I spent most of my teenage and early adult years behind books, studying tirelessly to come to help those in need. All I have ever wanted was to be able to care for others and not feel helpless when people came to me for help. On August 4th, 2020, I was helpless. I did my best, but nothing I could have done would have been sufficient. I couldn't save everyone. We couldn't save everyone. And for that, I am sorry. I grieve these lives every day. I grieve the wounded. How can one get closure from such a tragedy? Oh my gosh. I'm like crying. What emotion. Poor, poor girl. And, you know, it's still, still having to deal with this. Of course. And, you know, going and forward. And the protests. Yeah, the protests. And then, you know, the, the, all the problems are going to come. The coronavirus is still happening. Our medical staff has never, you know been so highlighted so essential and they always were they deserve better than that yeah and i think you know she, she also brings to light another issue which is you know post-traumatic stress disorder i wonder if the people will ever be able to forget what the blast sounded like or what the earth shaking felt like you know can they really recover from that anytime soon it is a long road ahead for them and they're in our thoughts in our prayers we obviously donate to the red cross we do what we can with what we've got despite being in our own pandemic as well um just rotten absolutely any time is rotten but it's just compounded by the fact that we're in a global pandemic now too yeah and and you know for me um lebanon's kind of like a bit close to my heart my 
great-grandmother is Lebanese and um, her family emigrated from Lebanon because of issues very early in the um, 20th century and they've gone through so much in you know as a nation the past century and it hasn't stopped I, I can't believe that they are still working through crisis after crisis after crisis so. And it's taken a disaster like this for the world to even look at Lebanon and go, oh, yeah, they've got other things going on, on as well as this. Yeah, yeah, of course. So let it be a moment where we can all show solidarity, even if we're all, you know, grieving our own processes. Absolutely. Do what you can. And if the best you can do is to denounce the fucking idiots that tweet this was an attack mm-hmm. or something it wasn't, then you do that. And, and yeah more power to you because i do every time i enjoy sparring with these dumb fucks and it's not really sparring it's just like beating up a child because they're just not very clever um we'll round off there on a very somber note and of beating off of children which probably not the best way to end (laughs) we hope you enjoyed this and found it as insightful as we did when we were making this and doing the research for this this is bearing fake news this is the show we give you the ammo needed to blast all this bullshit that's put out there in the system for these people who shill up your social media retweeting videos fake videos of fake attacks that aren't anything other than just manipulated content this is the show that science for non-science people talking about today ammonium nitrate and how it's uh, not technically explosive but it's decomp- decomposition is uh, an explosion itself yeah i mean you know all i have to say is take care of where you put your chemicals guys even if it's not, you know, I don't know how many thousands of tons of ammonium nitrate, where do we keep household stuff? And are we aware of the risks? And, you know, be kind to people. A wonderful point you've raised there. Speaking of uh, chemicals, hazards and risks, next week we're going to be talking about the Russia vaccine. I told it on the vaccine update, whatever episode that was, I said we're not going to talk about it because it's not credible. It's still not credible, but now it's made a lot of waves in the news, so we have to discuss it next week. Russia claims that they've made a vaccine and they're the first to do so, and it's wonderful. It's really not, and it's terrible for sad day for science. Oh dear. Well, we'll be talking about that next week, Ben. Looking forward to it. That's all from us, folks. Look after yourselves and each other. It's getting what is it? It's getting tired. <laughs> it's getting tired, and I'm getting late. And it is getting tired, and I am getting late. Sweetie, say good night. Good night, guys. Take care. <laughs>